Good morning, everybody. How is everybody? Good? Doing well? It's nice to see y'all. It's a nice sunny morning, finally. A little cooler. But, um, yeah, if you want, we're, uh, go ahead and stand and get started.
trumpet sound Righteousness alone The faultless stand before the throne The faultless stand before the throne Christ Christ alone, cornerstone. Um, it says in scripture that he is uh, the block which the builders rejected, the cornerstone. Um, he's that part of the house that if it's not in place, there's, there's no standing of the house. Um, and that's true for us as well. I think it's pretty easy to maybe to make that connection. Maybe you saw that right away when you were singing the song or when you read that verse before. Um, the story is, apart from him, we're just we're rubble. Um, we don't have structure or shape. It's um, He's the foundation. He's um, the necessary piece and necessary, the essential, the, uh, the must-have piece. And apart from him, we are that rubble. And the um, problem is, we are sinful. Um, and it's not just that we sin, it's that that's who we are in our deepest being, but who he is in his deepest being is merciful. And um, communion is a time for two things, to focus on that, to focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So one aspect is remembering him. It's putting off ourselves for focus on him. And the other aspect uh, is confession. And both of these have to do with our sin. He's our substitute, perfectly satisfied the wrath of God towards us. Took our place, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so what we do in this time is we focus on him, do this in remembrance of me. His blood is what washed us clean. His body was broken. He died the death that we all deserve. And in exchange, we give him that very sin that makes us rubble. He puts his cornerstone in its place. 
he draws out all of our sin and gives us all of his righteousness that we have a right standing before God so that when it comes time that we stand before him all he sees is his son and he loves his son and all who are in the son the father loves each one of us just the same as he loves Christ himself if you are in Christ and so this is an invitation this is an opportunity um, if Christ is something you've always considered or maybe even tried Christ is nothing you try he's worth giving yourself to like don't just take a bite just drink this in this is the gospel of Christ Jesus that Christ alone is sufficient for your salvation and so Father thank you that you have given your son Jesus thank you that you have done the works that the Father planned and accomplished his perfect plan and spirit we thank you that you apply the grace that we are saved by all Christ's righteous works you attribute to us and remove all of our sinfulness and attribute it to the cross and we have a clean slate our criminal record is wiped out washed clean by the blood of the righteous one that we can have peace with you spirit I pray that you would do that work today rather we know you or we don't we are always sinning but you are always saving is the good news for those in Christ so as we take of this cup we remember the cost and as we eat of the bread we're reminded of our healing and your brokenness and for your wonderful name we pray that you would work help our faith and establish yourself in the deepest parts of us for your wonderful name I think that was a really good way to kind of prepare our hearts for what we are about to receive, not only in terms of celebrating together and reflecting together on the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, which really is the reason why we are here. And each day we are, tr we are drawn into a reality that is unlike any other because of that. And we are growing and learning and understanding what that means from the standpoint of scripture. And so today I wanted to do a message on uh, how Jesus drew people into that. Uh, and it comes from Mark chapter 4. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, please just uh, find that. And we're going to take a look at that in just a minute. Uh, but before we even go there, I'd just like to uh, take this moment and just sanctify it in him. So would you bow with me? Father, as we begin to uh, receive your word into our hearts, you know all of the things that weigh on us, the circumstances that we face in the course of a week, the challenges that we have, the things that are overwhelming. 
but also the blessings and the joys and all the ways that you uh, show yourself to us. And we know one of those powerful ways is through your word. And so bless it as we receive it, as we've received uh, these emblems. May all of these uh, work your good purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you guys remember the first job you ever had as a teenager or one of the first jobs. Maybe it was retail. Maybe it was working at a gas station. Maybe it was working in a restaurant. Uh, everybody, I think, has a story about their first job and whether or not they wanted to do that the rest of their lives. I'm guessing that most of you, when you got that job, you discovered that this is the one thing I don't want to do the rest of my life. And I started out as a dishwasher in a restaurant, and I knew exactly then uh, this is a good place to start, but not a good place to wind up. And as you know, I'm not doing dishes anymore. Uh, so hopefully, uh, it's been a good trajectory in a positive direction. But those jobs, I think, have a way of shaping your outlook on the world around you. Some people go into those jobs and they say, this is what I don't want to do the rest of my life. And so you go to college and you get a degree and you're like, thank goodness I'm not washing dishes uh, or perhaps doing some menial task like uh, pumping gas, which you can't even do anymore, by the way, in, in Ohio uh, for other people. Um, some of the jobs, they're just obsolete. And then there are other jobs that seem to be perennial. One of the jobs I had was uh, a brief stint as a mechanics assistant at a trucking company. And it was okay, but it wasn't the place where I wanted to land. And oddly enough, life having its little surprises the way it does, I found myself um, uh, having a conversation with my two uncles who showed up at my workplace one day. And they said simply this, uh, our family farm needs you to come and work on it. My uncle, who was uh, actually in charge of this farm, was dealing with his own battles with cancer, and they were getting pretty desperate, and they were looking for uh, who it was that they could help, have help in this process, and I'm sure that I was probably at the, uh, at the end of the um, HR pool, and they're like, well, we could probably go ask Leonard. He's a teenager, and he's got lots of energy, and um, well, we're old men, and we don't want to do some of these jobs anyway, and maybe we can get him. I didn't know all that was going on in that conversation, but because of the importance of what uh, they had uh, basically laid before me, our family farm uh, began in the uh, mid-1800s in Illinois, and it ended up being about 1,000 acres that we had to manage and take care of. And it was a pretty overwhelming task whenever I went to uh, that farm the next day and saw everything that had to be done. And one of the things that my uncle said was, we're going to get the fields ready so that we can uh, uh, prepare for uh, plant planting season. And if you've ever done any farming, you know that there's a lot to that. And I, I thought, well, that's great. I can just get on a tractor and I can just, you know, put the machinery down in the soil and we can take off. No. There was a pre-step to that, which I didn't realize was part of the equation. And that was the equipment actually has to be repaired before we can go do that. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of mechanically inclined. We can, we can do that. What I didn't realize was this was a big old disc that was like, I don't know, I would say it's about 10 feet long. 
And uh, it had a, it basically a gang of disks is what they called it. And each of those disks would be responsible for churning up the soil so that it'd be ready for planting. What they said to me was, you need to take several of those disks off and replace them with new ones. And then we can go and we can start the process. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, I've never done this before. This is pretty heavy equipment. And I'm not sure if I can even do that. Not to mention, it was, uh, it was a very hot time of the year, and I was feeling like, hmm, I'm not sure I should have followed their call to go and help out on this farm, because this is getting a lot more complicated than I thought. But the point I want to bring out is why I had to repair the disc so that we could service the field, and it had to do with all the chunks of metal that were gone from the discs that kept them from doing their job. And why were there chunks of metal gone? the farmer's worst enemy, rocks, and lots of them. And when you go out into the field, those rocks just bust up your equipment. And it's just a perennial job to try to keep the equipment healthy so that you can just do something very simple in terms of what the process is about. Plant the seed, till the fields, pray for rain, trust that in the end you'll have a crop to harvest. And a lot of times, whenever we see things like that, it does seem simple, doesn't it? You could do a YouTube video on farming, and they could probably show you the whole process as they fast-forward it in, in five minutes. But whenever you're actually doing the hard work, you find that, yeah, it is a process, and it is a long process. And when Jesus is looking at all the people that he sees are potential recipients of the word and people that in his own mind's eye envisions going from a place of just kind of living and existing and, and dealing with problems and challenges in a state of hopelessness to a place where they would discover that the word of God would enable them to find and discover God's blessing and be a source of God's blessing and in it is a deep and rich and abiding satisfaction and joy in what that means. Now, farming definitely le left a deep impression on me because as I went through just the process of fixing the discs and then whenever it came time to plant the seed, I felt a little bit of pride in the fact that yeah, I played a role in that even being able to happen. If it wasn't for me, we couldn't have done that. Now, that was young guy going in and saying, um, I'm part of the process and I'm proud to be uh, in this experience with my uncle and, my, and, and my, my uncle who ran the farm and my other two uncles. But it was all of that prep work that I think in the end when we were pulling the combines out into the field and we had uh, looked at the, the yield that was occurring and as I was driving the truck beside it, my uncle said, this is gonna be a pretty good year. The soybeans have been good. The corn has been good. Uh, it, this is going to be one of the better years we've had in a few years. And I looked back and I thought, I had no idea that farming involved so much. But when you see the grain bins start to fill up, you realize, but I also had no idea how rewarding it is to see that fruit emerge out of that experience. 
when Jesus is looking at the crowds of people that are starting to follow him, he's trying to actually call them into something that is not unlike the family farm. It is his way of saying there is a process that is going to take place, and you need to be ready. Now, if you've ever read the Gospels, you know that they are embedded with a lot of stories like the parables, and Jesus is constantly trying to describe spiritual realities with stories that I think we can all relate to. And out of the gate, he says a parable that helps you understand all the other parables. And if you're wondering what a parable is specifically, it is a, it is, it is a teaching that you have to meditate on a little bit because it has so many aspects to it that are important to understand. And Jesus is showing that he has something different. And people are saying, you appear to have a message that resonates with the struggles that I'm facing. And you're bringing a good word to these experiences that I'm facing that gives me hope. And so people started to follow, so much so that the crowds were pressing in on him, and he had to, he had to basically find a vantage point of, uh, of, 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 of delivering the message so that everyone could hear. And so we find in Mark chapter 4... A story called the parable of the sowers, which in reality should be the parable of the soils. Because the soil really is what is at issue here for him, for them, and for you and I. And as we look at these verses, I'm going to make this a two-part series because I think it is that important. And we're going to look at Mark chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 9 today, <clears throat> and, and, and see what we find. In it we read, again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. <clears throat> And when he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had, the depth of, had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no, no root, it withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, how many of you have had anything to do with farming in your entire lives? Anybody? Some of you have. Most of us have probably just eaten the product of the farm. And we just say, you know, where does, it, where does corn come from? Well, in a can, of course. Where does it come from? In a bag that you microwave? Duh. And we just have this sense that uh, production of those things just is kind of magical. But the reality is, for the people that lived in Jesus' day, farming was essential. It was the livelihood of the majority of the people that he was talking to. And so when he broke out this parable, it really resonated with them because they were imagining their own fields and their own settings and their own circumstances as he's telling them. And that's why the story is so powerful for them and maybe not so much for us, but let me just try to relate its substance. 
Now, if you were a person living in Jesus' day, you had a little tract of land. And let's say it's about the size of this building right here, this, this footprint of this room. And it was enough for you to provide enough grain uh, to uh, service um, uh, basically your annual income. And the farmer had a responsibility to make sure that the yield was the best it could possibly be. And on the border of the farm were stones. Stones that were dug up out of the field, stones that were broken up in the field, and they basically provided the boundary marker for where your property ended and the neighbor's property began. Are you with me so far? And so when Jesus is telling them this, they, they get it. Yeah, I get, the, I get the stones. And then he says the thorns that are part of this whole process tend to choke away the substance of that seed, so much so that it... Well, it doesn't, doesn't come to life. And if you were a farmer in that day and you knew the things I just described, you also knew that because the stones were on the boundary marker of the property, there were also thorns because you couldn't really till that ground up enough to get the thorns out of there. And so they just were a perennial threat. And they were always going to seed and potentially impacting the rest of the field. So there were concerns there about that you couldn't really manage the stones or the thorns when it came to the health of the soil that you were trying to produce a crop in. And then, when the farmer was distributing the seed, there was a path, and the path typically ran along the border of the property, and the path was, was, was trodden down, and it was basically responsible for how you broadcast the seed and how you threw stones over into the, into the, uh, the, the boundary line. All right, so that's farming in Jesus' day. Now you just buy a $250,000 combine, $250,000 tractor with GPS, and it will do all the work for you. Except for those pesky stones which just seem to perennially get in the way as these guys are listening they're like okay Jesus we understand what you're trying to set up here but what is so important about what you're sharing and I would say that he thought that as he was just disseminating why he was there through this kind of language they would get it and we fast forward to 21 centuries from that point, and we ask the question, do we get it? And I would say that what determines whether or not you and I get it has to do with the health of our soil, which in effect is our hearts. It is that place that is so sacred to you and I, it defines so much of what we do. And the scripture talks about the heart repeatedly. And in Proverbs, uh, it, it discusses the heart as, um, let me just find this real quickly. The heart is that place where, um, just give me one second here. Um, above all else, guard your heart in Proverbs 4.23, because everything you do flows from it. And what Jesus is doing in this parable is saying, I'm just going to go literally to the heart of the matter, and I want to talk about 
where your heart is at relative to receiving the seed. And the seed here is the word of God. It is that thing that is looking to produce something in your life and mine. Now, I don't know what the condition of your heart is or uh, each of our hearts collectively or even my heart. Every day I have to ask the question, how is your heart doing? How is that space in its receptivity to the things of God? And I think Jesus is just giving us something to reflect on for a second. But I want to just look at uh, the first half of this parable as we are asking the question, is God working in my heart? And if he is working in my heart, chances are there's more work to be done than you realize. And I don't want to overwhelm you, but I just want to say that there's probably some stones in there that are getting in the way. They can actually damage things. There's probably some rocks in there that you need to dig up and you need to put aside. And for some farmers, they might think that I, I can just drive the equipment over there and it's fine. I don't need to deal with that. But for a seasoned farmer who's tried that tactic for a few years, they know, now nah, I got to spend a little time with the rocks. It's not glamorous, but it's necessary. And you may be asking right about now, what is a rock? And a rock is something that, as we're reading through this passage of Scripture, is a metaphor or an image of something that it just gets in the way of the work that is being done. And it could be anything that you put first in your life before the Lord. It could be anything that is keeping you from drawing close to him. It can be something in your life that's a distraction. Whatever it is in your life and mine... God is telling each of us, it may come to the surface, and you may have to deal with it if you want to proceed any further. But maybe you're asking, why would I even want to proceed any further? And that's really the good part of this, because as this parable ends, it says, there will be, um, there will be in verse Eight, and the seeds fell in the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This parable is in two other Gospels, and basically it says the same thing, except Luke just doesn't even bother with the 30-fold, the 60-fold, or the 100-fold. He just said, if you do this kind of farming right, you'll have a blessing of 100-fold. But does he say blessing there? And that's the thing, because the people that are listening are also aware of something else. And that is stories from the Old Testament that gave them identity. You know, in my case, I had a family that grew up on a farm, and then there were people that grew up on that same farm before them. And then there was a guy, actually, that came from Kentucky. And his name was Thomas T. Townley. I don't know what the T stands for. But he got sick of living in southern Kentucky, and he said, I'm going to go to Illinois. 
I hear that you can start a farm there. So when he went there, he discovered swamp ground. Can you imagine? It's mosquitoes, swampy ground. But you know what he saw? He saw wonderful topsoil. And so like so many people, they, drown, they, they, they drained that swamp ground. Uh, they, they created waterways and ditches and things like that. And the end result was a topsoil that in some cases is almost 60 to 100 feet deep. Now, that may, you may be checking out right about now like, I don't care. But if you've ever gardened, you know if you don't have topsoil and all you have is clay, it ain't going to work very well, and you're not going to be eating much. And so when Thomas Townley drained off his little tract of land, he was pretty excited. And he was energized enough that he built a house for he and his wife in the mid-1800s without a general store, without a dollar general store, without anything like that. He had to make his own nails so that he could nail the wood together so that they could produce a home. I'm thinking there must have been a pretty good reason if he's going to make nails to put wood together that I'm sure he had to prepare that from trees that were chopped down so that he could build a house, which he did. And it was a lot of hard work. But there was something that was driving him that said, but it is so worth it. Because the legacy of this work will not only flow into my life and my kids' life, but my grandkids and so on, which it did. And it proved to be a source of huge blessing for our family for generations. And when Jesus is looking at the crowd, and when I'm looking at you guys, I'm thinking not only of you guys, but I'm thinking about the people that are connected to you, the people that maybe are your kids or your grandkids. And I'm wondering, is the hard work that you're doing in your life now relative to the soil that, the, that, that God is cultivating in your life, is that hard work going to produce a dividend that's going to last for generations? When the people, because just picture this. There's a, if you've ever been boating, there's a cove, and essentially that's where Jesus was at. He was at a cove, and along the side of the cove were all these people, and he had to go out into the water on a boat so that the sound of his voice would project and people would hear. And in that cove, people were standing on the edge, and they were listening because, well, they saw something. They saw something that said, this warrants paying attention to. And maybe you're here because at some point you saw something in this Jesus that's worth paying attention to. Maybe you have blessings and sources of gratitude in your life that drive you to worship him every Sunday. I know that's what I do because whenever I was that 19-year-old kid wearing torn blue jeans a trucker wallet, long hair, and flannel. Nothing against anybody wearing flannel in here, but I'm like a pretty rough character. I had no idea where this was going. 
All I knew is that I was hoping it would go somewhere. Well, while I was on the farm, interestingly enough, God said, just as you've been working on this farm, I've been working on you for a while because I have, I have, I have something that I want to give you, and that is a new life in Christ that will actually make all the difference in your world. And 35 years into it or more, I look backward and I think, if it weren't for the Lord showing up, I wouldn't have the wife that I have. I wouldn't have the kids that I have. I wouldn't have the friends that I have. I wouldn't have the peace of mind that I have now that I didn't have before. I wouldn't have hope for the prospect that no matter what is happening in the world that year, be it 1984, kind of symbolic, isn't it? Or 2020, God had things for me and people like me that he was drawing in. And I've truly been blessed in that period of time in a way that never would have happened had God not started working on the soil. And I am so grateful. But it, it's been hard work. But anything worthwhile If you don't invest hard work in it, it's not going to really be as rewarding. They're listening and they're wondering, where is this going? And when he says the word hundredfold, people in the Bible times, they didn't have, they didn't have iPhones. They didn't have uh, iPads, computers. They didn't have social media. They didn't have any of that stuff. All they had basically was fields, and they'd go to the synagogue or the temple, and they would hear the word of God, and they would read it, and they would internalize it. And so when he said a hundredfold, there's only one place in the Old Testament that ta talks about something being a hundredfold. It's a very powerful story, and it comes from Genesis uh, chapter 26, 12, where it says, Isaac planted crops in that land, and that same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. So they're hearing hundredfold, and they're remembering the story of their forebearer, and they realize that God blessed them in that. Is God going to bless me in this? And maybe that gets to the issue at hand, our responsibility, because what role do we play in farming? Well, I do know that there needs to be somebody doing something or nothing is going to happen, even if that somebody is a, is a, is a punk 19-year-old like myself, it still needs somebody to attend to it responsibly. And Isaac did in his case. And they saw a blessing come out of that. And so Jesus is saying, just as Isaac prepared the field and did all the necessary work, I'm showing you that you need to prepare the field and do the necessary work as well. Now, let's just go back into our time machine to that period of time and imagine that field because the crops have been drawn in and there's a couple of months where things are dormant and the farmer has to look at what he's received from his crop and what he has to do to get ready. And one of the things that's so critical is rain because it softens the soil and it makes it so that you can work the ground. And the farmer is looking at the ground and he's saying that 
we got thorns starting to crop up. And so they have to burn them off. And then the farmer's saying, where do those rocks come from? No wonder my, my implements are getting dull and they're getting nicked up because I see these rocks. And if you go to, even today, they say if you go there and you look at some of these small subsistent farms, you know what you'll see? You'll see men of all ages and probably their kids out there digging up rocks. Can you imagine the fun in that? But for some twisted reason, they know that it's important. And as they're digging them up, sometimes you'll get a big rock that you can't move. And they say, people who've gone and they've observed this have said that actually at that point, the farmer gets a great big sledgehammer and he just starts going bang, bang, bang. And he's busting up those rocks so that he can have that much more space for his crop. Remember, it's not that big of a space to begin with. And as he's busting them up, he's actually getting things ready. And Jesus is looking at the lives of these people who have been doing those very things, and he doesn't want to waste their time. And I certainly don't want to waste your time here today either. But I would prefer to point you to something that I hope is helpful. And that is, as we attend to the responsibility, as we're walking through the field and asking the question, is that seed going to take root in my farm? What is the condition of my soil? And Jesus was really concerned about this. Everybody says, as they look at Jesus' parable, many, of, many scholars will say, this is the parable that sets up all the others. It determines really whether or not when people hear the other parables, it's going to make any difference at all. And when Jesus sets this up, he's basically saying to each of the person there, you need to do a soil test. You need to see how well you are positioned to receive God's word. And I don't know about you, but as I end this message, and I think about the rocks in the field, and the conversation that Jesus is having with the crowd, and next week when we look at actually how this really um, applies practically in your life and mine. This is kind of just setting us up. Jesus has in mind the stuff that's getting in the way. And for us, it could be just our willfulness. It could be something that we are prioritizing. It could be the fact that we have some things that we need to deal with inside of ourselves. The Bible actually describes that as repentance. It's a way of taking inventory of those things that are toxic to your life, to your relationships, to your connection to God. And God will he'll reveal those things to you. You know what I discovered being a farmer? Is there definitely are rocks out there. And as I'm driving the tractor across the field, I'm picking up a lot of rocks. And there's actually a spot on the tractor where you just pile them. 
And then I remember going out the next year, and I'm like, where did that rock come from? Where did those rocks come from? And when you're looking at 1,000 acres, you're looking at a rock. You know, I should have just kept those and built a house, just a monument to all the things that I hate about farming. But we may, at the end of our lives, because we hung on to all this stuff, say, you know, I thought that was really important. But as it turns out, it wasn't so important after all. The rocks, the soil has a funny way of pushing those rocks up to the surface. And we're living in a moment where I think a lot of rocks are coming to the surface and people are seeing them. And you could just say, I'm going to put some miracle grow on there and I'm just going to move on. But the rocks are still there and they get in the way. I don't know what the Lord has been dealing with in your life, but it may be time to say, I got to get those rocks out of there. Now, as he goes into the rest of the parable, he describes what some of those rocks could be and the effect that they have, what some of those thorns are and the effect that they have on your life and mine. And I would say in North America right now, churches are struggling because there's a lot of rocks that are keeping people from hearing the word and discovering the blessing and finding the joy. You know what rocks did for me? And this is how I know that something in my life that's not right with the Lord is a rock. It creates pain. Oh, look at that disc. I got to repair that disc because it's broken because of those rocks, and that's going to be painful. It creates fear. I see the rock, and I'm like, I'm afraid that this is going to damage something that is necessary for farming. When I look at the rocks, I see that is going to displace the appropriate soil location for crops to emerge. And Jesus wants to just do a ground clearing in your life and mine. And it begins with just being aware of what is getting in the way, asking God to maybe help you identify it, and then asking him to help you. The, the final thing I want to say about my experience with farming was I felt like after a couple of years, I got kind of good at it. Like I learned about disking, I learned about plowing. My uncle said, I'm, you're never planting. But it was because, you know, they look like that. But everything else, I think he, he started to say, kind of let go of the reins a little bit. You're getting it figured out. You're getting it figured out. And what he was doing was, well, he was giving me a vision of what could be. And on the back end, what God was doing was saying, you got to cut some of this stuff out. You got to cut out some of the type of living that you're doing you got to cut out some of the things friend-wise that are toxic. you got to cut out those things 
that keep you from drawing close to me. And as I did that, it was amazing how the farming actually got better. And then you know what God said? You're done farming for now. Because my pastor came up to me, and just like my uncle showed up out of nowhere, my pastor came up to me and he said, uh, there's a little church that doesn't have a pastor. And I told them you would do that for them for a while. And I'm like, what? And he said, no, God's been working in you. And I think you're ready to be a greater blessing as God has blessed you. And I'll tell you what, the first time I got up there to speak, it must have been the most horrifying thing those people ever heard. <laughs> but I hope that by the time I got sort of done with them, they were pretty okay. And that's the way it works. It's all a process. My uncle started out getting mad at me all the time. So by the time we parted the ways, he's like, yeah, I think you're in a good place. And that's the cool part of how the blessing is so subtle but so rich. Being aligned with God in your heart and your mind, seeing the rocks that you didn't see before, and then just beginning that process of experiences blessing and then being a blessing for others. Seeing the joy on the faces of people when they come your way and you're not a threat, you're not antagonistic, you're not... Um, living in a state of fear, you just have a joy, a deep and abiding and lasting joy because you've done your work and it shows. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this first part of this journey that we are sharing together in this first parable that defines so much, I just pray, Father, that if there are things that you want to bring about in our lives that are changes for the good, that you would create that awareness and then that deep conviction that this needs to be sorted out. This is one of those rocks that needs to be cast over to the boundary, maybe to the cross, and just dealt with there. So, Father... Bless this process of coming together around your word in this way. And I just ask that as we are primed next week to move into it a little bit further, that you just keep this as a point of attention in our hearts this week. And so be at work in everyone's life here and everyone online who's hearing the word, that it would bear fruit and not get plucked away. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, we close in song, we're going to fall on that little theme of joy there. As a challenge to y'all this week, stay grateful that um, when the, the uh, disc on your tractor that tills the ground breaks, be grateful you're not using one of those old things that you had to like push through the dirt. And there's always something you can find to be joyful and to be grateful for. So this week, in times that are very, very easy to get angry at things and just be frustrated and give up, 
Um, the bridge of the song says, as we lift our hands, the heavens open. Like we are never stronger, we are never in better shape than when we surrender to God. So this week, I mean, you, know, you can do it during the song, you don't have to, but just lift, lift you know, Father, reach out to your Father. Um, I try to get my dad to pick me up sometimes, but he looks at me like I'm crazy. Says I'm heavy or something, but but uh, that surrendered posture, his father, help me be with me, help me to be more grateful this week, and you'll be in good shape. But if you want, Ben, stand up and sing. Give thanks for all you have done, and I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing, Lord. I the day you have made whatever comes I won't complain for all my hope is in your name now your joy awaits my praise I give thanks for all you have done and I will sing
praise God. Hope you have a nice week. Uh, be grateful. See you all next week.